0: So be circumspect, that's a Hebrew word, shamar, it means to hedge up about as with thorns. So put a barrier around you, a thorny barrier that nothing can penetrate, and specifically no other gods, hedge up, not allowing any other gods to take a foothold in your life.
1: Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: Do in your life, we can get rid of pain and get rid of All you've got to do is let go and let go. Tonight we're looking at Exodus chapters 23 and 24. I titled chapter 23, Little by Little. It is something that the Lord says in verse 30 to the people about how they would occupy the promised land. And years ago I was reading this chapter, writing a devotional commentary on it, And it spoke to me in a special way of how the Lord sometimes works in our own lives as believers in Jesus Christ. We'll get to that at the end of chapter 23. We want to go through the chapter first. But as a key verse, verse 30, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased that you inherit the land. And so little by little, Exodus 23 He begins in verses 1 through 9, talking about the treatment of others. Verses 1 through 3, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute, so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to the poor man, In his dispute. So Israel was to treat others with fairness, with truth. And many of the verses here in Exodus 23, 1 through 9, we find that they are all an expansion of the ninth commandment you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In both the Old and New Testaments, we are taught to live other centered lives. In Philippians, 2 4, let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And you're to live other centered lives. And so, in doing that, you don't help circulate a false report. You don't put your hand with the wicked to do unrighteousness. You don't follow the crowd in their evil ways. You don't testify in a dispute that would pervert justice, so false testimony, and you don't show partiality to the poor just because they're poor, if they've done something wrong, then they should be judged for the wrong that they have done. I think today that we need a lot of our leaders in our country today, many of our judges, those in our country. Just read these first three verses of Exodus 23, 1 through 3. And we might have a better place here in the United States if we just follow those three verses. But the Lord goes on. Verses 4 through 9. If you meet your enemy's ox, his donkey, his motorcycle, his really nice car, and it's going astray. I don't know how my motorcycle could go astray, but it's somewhere it's not supposed to be. You should bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one of you, one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. So you help your enemy, you help the donkey, you get it back on its feet. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous also you shall not oppress the stranger for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of egypt you know that verse 9 always reminds us as believers in jesus christ when dealing with other people who are not in the faith they don't trust jesus yet It's a good reminder that we were all at that place at some point in our life. We were all without Christ, so we should show compassion with wisdom, show compassion, but to do it justly, not to walk in injustice. So God was concerned about how Israel treated others, whether they were a citizen, a foreigner, a friend, or a foe. Therefore, they were to help their enemy, they were to help those who hated them, they were not to distort the truth to favor the wealthy. They were to keep far away from any falsehood. They were not to align themselves with the wicked and perverting justice. And they were to have soft hearts toward the strangers, the stragglers, because they were once slaved in the land of Egypt. It is the golden rule that Jesus taught us in Matthew five seventeen that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So you treat others with the respect that you hope that they would treat you with. It doesn't always work out that way, but it doesn't mean that you treat others the way that they treat you. You treat them the way that you would like to be treated by them. So verse 2 stood out to me in this. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Now this is especially true in our age of multiple social media sites and platforms. We need to be careful that we're not just trending with the crowds when we have limited knowledge of whatever the new issue of the day is and they seem to come and go rather quickly. One person that I listen to quite a bit says and he does news but he always says give it 72 hours. Give it 72 hours before you jump on in, because within 72 hours, corrections often are made in those things. But I wrote here that we should always ask ourselves, is this person or this issue something that Jesus would want us to support? And do I want my name? Do I want the name of Christ associated with this person or cause? So be careful. I gave a warning to our church at the beginning of the war, in Ukraine, Russia against Ukraine, that uh, there is great suffering there, and I will not deny that. But I also have viewed, this is my personal opinion, but I looked up information on this, and I wondered about when did the United States get involved in Ukraine, and it happened as soon as the uh, Soviet U- Union fell in 1992. United States started dealing with the government of ukraine helping supporting and i think there's some a lot of messy political things going on there that so much so that i think our nation might be largely at fault of what's happening to the people in ukraine today now pray for the people of ukraine support the people who are suffering yes but don't just jump on the bandwagon when you know that there had been injustices being uh, played out in our nation being part of it. I hate to say that, but there's been a lot happening there. So I, I warned our church the very first week, be cautious about where you're going to throw your allegiance to. And so be cautious about how you support. I think we should support those who are unjustly hurting and suffering, but how we do it and who we side with is very important. So just be cautious in those areas. That's just one example that's kind of currently ongoing. Proverbs 29:11 says, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. And so I've been accused often, Johnny, you're awful silent there, not saying anything. Well, just let me process. Give me a, give me a bit to process. I'm not going to jump in suddenly. I try not to jump in suddenly on many of these issues in our world today. And I think there's wisdom in that. So he goes on to give Sabbath laws. It uh, talks about fidelity and the feast days in verses 10 through 19. 10 through 12, it says, Six days you shall sow your land and gather its produce, but in the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave, the beast of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove six days, you shall do your work on the seventh day, you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, your son of the female servants and the strangers may be refreshed. So, expanding upon the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, He takes it to even sowing their land, and they were agricultural people. And, uh, you know, it's like telling a farmer, modern-day farming today here in the United States, to say, you know what, Uh, only plant your crops for six years. The seventh year, just let it sit there. Now, today we pump in nitrates and chemicals and things to help our soil grow and to continue to produce, but this is a way that the land could recover from just the process of growing. Another way that they can do that is rotating crops and growing different crops in different fields, but of course that doesn't work for vineyards and olive groves. Once those are established, they're established, but they were to leave it, and I was thinking about this, especially in their day, when they left it, there would be produce, uh, the olive trees are going to continue to grow. The vineyards are going to continue to grow. And the people had free access at least one in seven years. What a bounty that would be, right? Just to go put up, my mom would say, put up food from the garden. And we did a lot of that when I was growing up. I've shared this from the pulpit before, but I don't think I largely ate any uh, canned or frozen vegetables until we moved to California Lily and I when we were both 32 years old because my mom and dad's garden was such a good producing garden that we always had fresh goods and that we'd put up we'd freeze and we'd have food to feed our family I think it might be something we need to start thinking about this year it's springtime get ready it might be handy to have those veggies up, put up. So the Israelis were not the only ones to rest. They were to allow their land to rest, their animals, their servants, and the strangers. That all could be refreshed. Six days they were to work, on the seventh day they would rest. The lands, sixth year they would plant, on the seventh year they would just let it lay fallow. Fallow ground is unturned soil. But Jesus said in Mark 2, 27 and 28, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, where he said when his disciples were condemned by the scribes and Pharisees for harvesting, their harvesting was they were going through the grain field, they picked some grain, they rubbed it in their hand that they could chew on the grain and get rid of the chaff. And Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So they had turned this law that was for the good of the people, and they just made it a pain. Made the rule so, they did, not God. They made the rule so hard that it was hard for the people to really worship on the Sabbath day. It became a day of burden instead of a day of worship. I like this there's a line in here where the lord says in verse 13 be circumspect and so i titled 13 through 19 be circumspect in all you do and i'll read those verses and in all that i've said to you be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods nor let it be heard from your mouth three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread You shall not eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt and none shall appear before me empty. So the feast of unleavened bread tied to Passover. And then also verse 16, the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year When you have gathered in the fruits of your labor. So the feast of unleavened bread coincides with Passover, Easter. The feast of harvest, the first fruits, coincides with Pentecost. And the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. So three times a year, all the males were to appear before the Lord, their God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread. Leaven always associated with sin in the Bible, so unleavened bread. Nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. And the first fruit of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil the young goat with its mother's milk. So God expanded upon now the first commandment. You should have no other God before me by commanding them not to even speak the name of a pagan God, another God. He also required all the males to appear before him three times a year. So they had one central, the tabernacle and the temple, one central place to worship in all the land. And of course, they had their uh, household worship, community worship that they could do. Ultimately, the synagogues would grow up after the temple was destroyed. Synagogues didn't exist until after the first temple was destroyed. Three times a year they were required to come to wherever the tabernacle or temple would be, ultimately the temple there in Jerusalem, to worship at these three feast days, feast of unleavened bread, the feast of harvest, the feast of ingathering. So be circumspect. That's a Hebrew word, shamar. It means to hedge up about as with thorns. So put a barrier around you a thorny barrier that nothing can penetrate, and specifically, no other gods. Hedge up, not allowing any other gods to take a foothold in your life. Ephesians five fifteen through 17, "...see that you walk circumspectly, not as the fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil." Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be circumspect, walk circumspectly, hedge up as with thorns. Protect yourself, protect your faith, your relationship with God. Now, can you imagine the solidarity of faith that Israel could have had if they would have been obedient to the Lord's command? They would fail in these many times. Sometimes they would have seasons of great obedience Sometimes they would have seasons where they fell away greatly. And the truth is for all believers today. Now regarding the Prohibition against boiling a young goat and its mother's milk, I just have to tag this on, because uh, I got some Jews mad at me at a restaurant in Bethlehem when we were there, because I kept asking for butter. They had these beautiful rolls but they wouldn't serve butter with the rolls because they were serving meat, and you can't mix dairy and meat together according to rabbitic tradition. But it's rabbitic tradition, not the Mosaic law. So the tendency—I pulled this off of Got Questions. The tendency in Jewish rabbitic tradition over a period of a thousand years was to expand upon the commands of the Mosaic law to cover more activities. And the purpose of such expansion was to insulate the Jews from the possible violation of the law. So if the law prescribed a 10-foot fence, the rabbis would say, make it 15 feet, just be safe. Make it 5 foot taller. As a result, the young goat in Exodus twenty-three nineteen was interpreted as all meat, and its mother's milk became any dairy product. Consuming any type of meat with dairy product at the same meal was in violation of a kosher law. But it doesn't say that. It says you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. The thought here, and I'll just pick this up from my notes that I put in my Bible. I was looking at this earlier today. Uh, This may have been because the Canaanites used this practice as a fertility rite, Uh, Don't do what the world does, basically, it could be. Or God doesn't want them to destroy the young goat with what was given to bring life, the mother's milk. But the prohibition was for the kid of a goat and its mother's milk, but not all meat and all dairy. So there in Bethlehem, we were there for five days just outside of Jerusalem, at the hotel there and I guess I pestered them enough that one day he brought me a whole pound of butter for dinner so I got my butter I shared it with all the Americans if <laughs> I need butter I got a whole pound I just wanted a pad of butter no <laughs> the meals were tremendous I enjoyed going to the meals in Jerusalem 20 through 33 God's angel and his promise to the Israelis. so God promises his angel to be with them verses 20 and through 23 behold i send an angel before you to keep you in the way to bring you into the place which i have prepared beware of him and obey his voice do not provoke him for he will not pardon your transgressions for my name is in him but if you indeed obey his voice and do all that i speak then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the promised land. He goes on to speak about the seven nations that they would cast out, the Hittites and the Hittites and all those tights. I'll just skip that for now. But God pledged to send his angel, uh, King James, New King James, because they capitalized angel here They're saying that this is the angel of the Lord, that this is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ, a Christophany, Christ going before them. And we do read in the New Testament that Christ was the rock that followed them there in the wilderness. And so we do have evidence from the New Testament that Christ was there in the wilderness with the children of Israel. But sadly, the first generation that came out of Egypt did not enter into the promised land. They were disobedient to the angel. God warned them, don't be disobedient to his command. And they were disobedient. And every one of them fell there in the wilderness over a period of 40 years. In Numbers 14.34, the judgment was, According to the number of the days in which the spies spied out the land, 40 days. For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, that you shall know my rejection. So even though they will say what God says we will do, they wouldn't even make it a year without failing to be obedient to the Lord's command. So God promised also provision and health to them, 24 through 26. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take away sickness from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. So they were not only to conquer their enemies, but they were also not to worship or serve any of their gods. We will read of a king when we get to the kings who, when he conquered his enemy in Damascus, country of Syria, pagan god, he copied their altar and had it duplicated in Israel. So he conquered them, and their weak God, he decided, we're going to worship the weak God that our God defeated. That's not how they were supposed to be. They were to not only not worship or serve, they were to break down their pagan altars, destroy the sacred places. God promised if they would do these things that he'd give them health, bread, and water, that they would live full lives in the promised land. Deuteronomy 10:12 through 13, when talking to the next generation The generation that would go into the promised land, God said, Now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep his commandments, the commandments of the Lord, and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. God's law was given for the good of humanity. And it's when humanity runs from the laws of God, humanity, we find, can get very ugly and very messy.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit.